1: Hello and welcome to the TFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and today I'm joined by Alex Stewart. Hi Alex.
0: Hey Joe, how are you doing?
1: I'm good man, how are you? Oh, you know everything's fine we'll be joined by seb shortly enough he's delayed but no worries we've started without him because he's really not that important anyway there's lots to discuss today the uh the charity shield occurred over the weekend of course which was fun i was surprised by how much i missed football even though it had been gone for three weeks so we'll talk about that uh, seb's put all sorts of strange things like montpellier marseille in here and metz Lille. so you know maybe we'll get around to that uh, west ham a little bit about west ham barcelona and juventus the danger of doing uh, an intro at the beginning before we've actually done thing is we might not talk about any of those things but two things we definitely will talk about Alex Messi and Lukaku and do you know where the best place is to read about Messi and about Lukaku Alex
0: I have a feeling you're gonna tell me Joe
1: it's the Athletic If you visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, you'll find that for this week only, you can get 50% off an annual subscription to The Athletic. And I believe that takes us back to the 8p a day times. Is that right? The point is... It's about the price of an expensive London cup of coffee for the entire month of exclusive access to some of the best football writers in the country. And I tell you what, they really come into their own around this time of year, don't they? It's lovely to read all of the interesting stuff, uh, particularly about Messi and Lukaku, and we'll be talking about that today. There's your cue to nod or say something. all <laughs> oh,
0: right uh, Well, I, I'm, I'm very excited that... Um... Dan Sheldon and Adam Leventhal have reported the uh, Adam Armstrong potentially to Southampton move. So, yeah. That's, that's something for me to get stuck into.
1: What a way to get the masses happy and excited. Jubilant, you might say. Anyway, for now, I will leave you in the cold, dead arms and embrace of Seb Stafford Bloor, who's not here because he's late. messy because it was right mean, jokes aside actually it was rather um astonishing to watch yesterday and i don't say astonishing no i meant the wrong word isn't it not surprising it was it was something to watch his press conference alex uh, as he uh, you know was in tears uh, acknowledging leaving the club i suppose that he loves that he's been at for for a number number of years over a decade of course as everyone around him gave him a, a standing ovation which lasted for many seconds
0: yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of manufactured emotion in football, um, but it's very difficult to watch that press conference and not feel that, that Messi is genuinely sad about what's happened. Obviously, Barcelona fans are genuinely sad because they've lost somebody who is still arguably the, the greatest current player and probably the greatest ever, mm. Um and it's not through Messi's fault, is it? I mean, the the simple fact is that, as Dermot Corrigan has catalogued on The Athletic, that Barcelona are just a very badly run club at the moment. Um, yeah. I, I found the Messi should play for free opinions, slightly bizarre. I mean, not least because it's not actually lawful under the <laughs> Spanish employment <laughs> law. Um, but also... Yeah, for w- good reason. Why? Like, yeah. you know, he, he's a valuable commodity. His his labour is worth something. If the club can't get their ducks in a row sufficiently yeah. to sign him, what, why should he have to do that?
1: Yeah, it's not his fault that he can't not play there all. anymore.
0: Absolutely yeah. not. No.
1: I found it very moving. And I thought also it seemed, obviously it was a moment of uh, realisation and crucially in the moments before um, before he, he he breaks down a little bit, he says he doesn't have any more words. He doesn't know what else to say. He figured he'd open it up for questions. And it feels like when you look at the pace of his career, uh, how much he's won, how successful he's been, even just how many goals he's scored and how to maintain the level that he's at. I mean, at 34 years old, he mustn't have stopped ever so I, it feels like kind of poignant in a sense. I know I'm over-dramatising uh, it and romanticising it a little bit, but the idea that he didn't have any more words and had to stop and there was a silence before there were any questions, it feels like a, a great poignant moment of reflection, you know? He's leaving this club yeah. now, but also maybe that's one of the first times he's been able to look back and think about actually what
0: he's achieved. I, I think that's very true because I think, yes, obviously from an on-field perspective, he's been the, the talisman that that, you know, that club that is particularly associated with a particular period of domination as well under Guardiola as a manager, which said wrote very beautifully about on The Athletic. Mm. Um, but Messi has been emblematic of that period, more so even than the kind of the homegrown players like Iniesta and Xavi. That's partially a longevity thing, it's partially an ability thing. And then also during the pandemic period where Messi was sort of advocating for pay cuts and trying to ensure that the club was looking after its staff and that kind of thing. He took on a certain leadership role off the pitch as well. Um, And I I can't really think, I mean, maybe Cruyff or Ajax, but I I can't think of a player who has come to stand so emphatically for their club over such a long period of time and done on and off the pitch so much for them.
1: Yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, it's easier to think of examples for national teams maybe, but not for club teams. It's hard. maybe Totty.
0: Yeah, no, that's true. But also with, with a fraction of the success that those other two players had. Sure. Um, sure. And I, th- I think you're right. In order to maintain those personal levels of success, but also to be the, the catalyst for the team to be able to continue achieving that sort of thing, it places an enormous burden on somebody.
1: Okay, well, the expectation is that Messi will sign for PSG. I mean, he's made it, uh, we've made it clear during the press conference that he hasn't agreed anything and lots of clubs are interested. But all of the reports appear to um, point towards that being a reality. And it's possible by the time people are listening to this that that has become a reality. The thought of that team with Mbappe and Neymar and Messi and Di Maria and Verratti <laughs> and also all the other players too. The thought of that team is rather frightening, isn't it? Just, yeah. Just have a go at that.
0: It It is frightening. Um, I mean, I think as well, that the, the capacity that team will have under Pochettino as a coach, the amount of talent that they have in depth, particularly in the attacking positions, but also obviously they've signed Sergio Ramos, who brings experience and and leadership as well um it's very difficult to look past them certainly as very very serious champions league contenders yeah Um, but also i think it'll be interesting to see if they're fun because there is a, a possibility maybe that that you end up getting that alchemy slightly wrong and they're not as attacking as they want to be or the team is unbalanced or so well, I like the Pochettino idea that Pochettino
1: has, a, has gone from a place where he was desperate for stars and had Harry Kane obviously to a place yeah. where he's got too many he's maybe got too many.
0: Yeah. Well that that's the problem with these sorts of teams there always has to be a balance and it's you go back to someone like Claude Marcelino's job at Real Madrid you know um, whether it's mm. a dresser gay that does that that there will have to be somebody that knits that team together. In terms of how it plays, um, yeah, and it, it will be interesting to see how Pochettino manages that.
1: Seb sent us a text message to say that uh, there's a noise that he can't stop, and I think he must be referring to his internal monologue, which I'm sure is berating him for being such a such a bad person, you know. But I wish he was here to answer the question about uh, what he thinks Messi will will be like at PSG, you know. I have
2: arrived. The monologue has been silent.
1: Oh, it's weird. I can hear his internal monologue, and it is. It makes me so upset. It's horrible. I don't do you like see it. What I I'm have going to. Live to with? I really see? want to crumple away into a ball of nothingness. Hi, Seb. What was the noise you couldn't stop? Was it your internal monologue?
2: No. So I have recently moved into a new house, and from time to time, there are things that go on in the house that make lots and lots of noise, and I do not have a good enough command of German to make them stop. And it makes I think me just, really, really you, angry. Don't you
1: shout Scheitzer out the window over and over again until they stop?
2: No, I tried that and uh, no one was very responsive. It just came across like I was having some kind of minor breakdown. So Seb, tell me what you think about uh, Messi at PSG. In fact, you
1: missed a bit at the beginning where we were talking about uh, his press conference. I thought maybe you'd like to speak about that because it was very moving.
2: We said it was moving. I found it, Joe, in equal parts moving and a little bit strange. Because it's very unusual, isn't it? When, when in the past have you ever had a situation where a player and a club, despite reaching an agreement, despite making concessions to one another, have been prized apart? And I suppose it was kind of the perfect metaphor for modern football, in inverted commas, because it's not really about football be- at all, is it? And there have been so many things like this lately, big transfer fees, a small collection of clubs only able to afford to buy the very best players, also so much dysfunction that you can become a little bit hardened and fatigued towards it. It was unusual. It almost felt voyeuristic, actually, because it felt like you were intruding upon something that you had no business seeing. It was very, very strange.
1: Do you know how I see history? I see special moments as, uh, oh, this will be in lots of documentaries. Do you know what I mean? Almost as if I'm not in the moment. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm looking back on it from 30 years in the future. But it had that feeling, didn't it? It had an historic feeling attached.
2: It's You know in uh, Premier League years on Sky, when you break mm. from the action to have little current affairs snippets over the kind of, you know, in the background to left field playing over the top of it. This will be one of those and you'll get a, uh, a Sky Sports News reporter talking about it and saying, oh, yes. And, you know, in August, uh, Lionel Messi said a tearful goodbye to Barcelona. And you'll sure. just see... Messi and some subtitles and him crying and Gerard Piquet looking sad and yeah, it all being very historical as you say yeah. correctly.
1: Are you excited to see him at PSG? If indeed no, he do,
2: does go there? Do not care, could not possibly care less. I just... There's, I, no, there's I, nothing
1: in you that's excited to see uh, Neymar, and Mbappe and Messi together. There's not, there's not even a tiny iota of your silly being that is a little bit excited about the prospect of that front three.
2: I've really tried with PSG. You're I've dead really, inside. really tried to sus- uh, suspend the reality and just enjoy Mbappe for who he is and Neymar. And to be honest, Mbappe I can just about because he's a bit more new and, and I feel like I'm still learning about him as a player. With Neymar, not so much. With Messi, I've already seen the very best moments of his career. I love watching him, but I don't feel as if... I feel as if whatever happens... From this point onwards, has been denied a, a context which was important, attention that was important before, uh, and I don't have that now. I don't have, for instance, yes, you could say that Barcelona during their their very very best years were no match for Sevilla and Atletico Madrid and you know Valencia. They they routinely bullied these teams, but you always had a you always had a Clasico on the horizon. You always had something in the calendar which was a yardstick, which were, you'd have a sort of a building up towards moment, and. PSG's four Champions League games that matter a season—they don't do it for me. I don't, I don't, I just don't care enough. And that's you know not coming with a, you know, a deeper meaning. I just can't make myself believe in it or make it feel like it matters.
1: Alex, as a man who only really cares about patterns and lines, you must be a bit excited about the possible lines and patterns that you might see.
0: I think so. I mean, like I Great. said. That- <laughs> It it it'll be it'll be interesting to see how Pochettino crafts this team into something, um, and to what degree the uh the pragmatism of of having to rotate and balance the competing egos and stuff has a an impact on the tactics. Um, I mean, football tactics generally is not evolving an enormous amount anyway, so mm, I don't mm-hmm. I don't think we're going to see some sort of massive. Change because they now have the ability to do something with this front three that no one else can do. It's, you know... uh, But I think also, like Seb, it it becomes difficult to divorce even that stuff from the the context, and the context is increasingly dispiriting. So let's hope for some good lines. Great,
1: great. Well, speaking of lines and uh, thrusting, thrusting lines, Romelu Lukaku, great off the ball, and, of course, off the pitch... We're hearing all sorts of things about how he might be probably going back to Chelsea. So I thought we'd talk about that as well because um, it's an exciting prospect. I think it makes Chelsea seem like an extraordinarily good team ahead of next season. Um, Also, it's a little odd that he's going back. I suppose some of the context around the transfer relates to uh, Inter Milan's need to to sell. Um, What do you make of this one?
2: Financially, there's an obvious reason for it. into have no money, into need money. Lukaku's probably the most saleable asset at the moment, so that makes sense. Mm. On the other hand, I'm always a little bit wary when a player has found a decent home somewhere where for yeah. Lukaku, it seems like there's this perfect confluence of factors. He is a, a very good team with players who suit him. He is also the main man in that team, really. I would place him above players like Barella and Martinez and Scrignard, like he he's the kind of the figurehead. I read I, well, I was according listening- to everything I've read he was he was happy to stay so it
1: wasn't like he was pushing for a move
2: No and, and that seems to tally with what we've heard I don't think there's been any uh, there's been any agitation like previously with Lukaku he's whenever he's gone off and he's unhappy during his club career whenever he's gone off on international duty he's spoken to a journalist and you know he's he's put a line in a paper which suggests that a move isn't too far away that hasn't happened here and I and I understand why because he has a perfect situation I think this is probably the first time in his career where everybody, at his university, said, Goodness, what a good player he is. There aren't the, the asterisks and caveats, people aren't boring one about his first touch, that kind of stuff. And now he's leaving that behind, returning to Chelsea where, potentially returning to Chelsea, where I understand he has unfinished business. He was never really given an opportunity there. And yet he puts himself back into the middle of a really tedious debate. Because English football has always had a slightly different relationship with Lukaku to the one the Italian football has. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I fear for him a little bit. I think he'll be very successful just because I think that Chelsea team uh, is set up to benefit him. As long as they don't try and play him as a target man, which has been the kind of the, the problem in the past. But I can't see... I don't think Tuchel will yeah, do that. No. Also, you have to
1: think like T- Alex Timo Werner and Romelu Lukaku playing together... Two players who are very, very good at making runs. And they I mean they're generally speaking, they're great without the ball, right? And with it, of course. That's terrifying for any team that they play against, right?
0: Well, it, it gives them this enormous benefit because Werner has a, a tendency to drift out into the the left side of the pitch. Lukaku excels, particularly playing for Belgium going the other way. And that that will open up space for someone, for example, like Havertz or potentially Mason Mount pushing up from the sort of eight position. So it it allows Chelsea to have this sort of shifting emphasis with their attacking patterns in the wide areas. And I can see that as a partnership working really well. Also, Werner previously, when he's played well, he has played alongside or slightly off a more uh, physically competitive striker. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that will be of benefit to him. Here. I mean, I'm not saying that Yusuf Pulson and Lukaku are similar players, but but there will be um, there will they're be both stronger than
1: Timo Werner.
0: <laughs> sure, I, I, you know, defenders defenders will be occupied with Lukaku's presence in a way that should allow not just Werner. I think also Havertz will be will be a yeah. real beneficiary of this. Um, And, you know, Chelsea already were well set to be the challenger this coming season, I would say. I mean, in Tuchel, they have an exceptional manager, uh, somebody who really refined his approach over the course of that season, bettered him very, very quickly, got players doing what he wanted them to do. And we saw how players like Rudiger or Christensen, Kovacic really kind of stepped up again under Tuchel. Uh, You add a striker of Lukaku's proven quality to that mix, which maybe was the one area that they were lacking, mm-hmm. all of a sudden they seem extremely dangerous.
1: Yeah, no, I can see that. That's very interesting. I mean, I was thinking uh, generally about the Premier League in terms of who's challenging this year. I mean, don't even know who the favourite is. You would have thought, I guess it's Manchester City, but lots of teams have strengthened in a way that they just didn't last yeah. season, right? I mean, even Manchester United with Jaden Sancho.
0: I think United are, I mean, not a dark horse. That's a stupid thing to say because. Um, <laughs> Back to know, the dark horse chat. They've got lots of money and they finish well. But I think I think Solskjaer is kind of batting off some of these issues now around his coaching. Players do seem yeah. to be developing well under him. They've got, you know, in adding. Like, I'm not as hot on Varane as some people are, but Sancho undoubtedly is an enormous talent. Um, I still think they're a defensive midfielder light, like everybody else does. Um, but so they're absolutely in the mix. City, again, I think City have issues unless they do sign Harry Kane. They look light up front. I mean, they didn't... I think their, their highest number of shots in the, the charity shield was Gunduan. Again, you can't keep relying on a midfielder bursting forwards to create all of your goals. So unless they do get a legit striker coming in, I'm not as keen on Seti and then obviously mm. you've got Liverpool there um, it's yeah it's 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 very difficult
1: well one other thing to say too that we I guess we didn't mention earlier when we were talking about Messi but a knock-on of that is uh, we you know we read all read the reports beforehand that PSG were interested in signing Paul Pogba um, and that obviously could not happen if the messy deal goes through. So that kind of throws Paul Pogba's future into flux a little bit too, um, which I guess means he'll be staying at Man United, Seb.
2: Yeah, which to me, Joe, seems like a very miserable year for everyone involved because I think Manchester United, certainly from the reporting we've seen and read, Manchester United have kind of moved on emotionally from Paul Pogba and accepted the fact they're probably likely to leave either this summer or next year. And for Pogba, it doesn't feel... Well, I, let's put it this way: the, the things that his agent has said suggest that he's not really invested with um, in the project, and you know I'm sure he'll he'll sort of remain committed in the kind of the year-to-year sense, but he's not there for long term. So, yeah, because yeah, to, to his credit, he did do that. I mean, it looks a lot like he was going to leave last summer. He obviously had
1: injuries in the season, but he was one of United's best players last season when he was there and looked definitely. looked hundred percent committed to playing every game.
2: Yeah, I, I always think that actually. With Pogba, the problem, part of the problem is the conversation is that you have this really... It's not a million miles away from what we were referring to with Lukaku, actually, in that there's always a discussion and always a discussion in terms which don't seem to apply to other players. I think in this situation, if you're Manchester United, like last year, you probably felt, right: if we can, if we can make several steps forward, perhaps win the Europa League and show that we're a decent contender or we are within touching distance of Manchester City or... Liverpool I know what happened to Liverpool but even so um then perhaps you have a, a kind of a re-engagement and I think Pogba like you say was engaged in what they were trying to do last season mm-hmm. it just felt very strange the the kind of the communication from Mini Arreola, Mino Riella Mino Riella even and yeah. I don't know I don't see how Pogba with fans back I don't I suspect a section of them that May United support will be quite hostile towards him um I don't think Pogba Maybe. would deal particularly well with that as most of us wouldn't it just doesn't seem great for anybody and I don't know all, all I time. think he's I mean there's been a section of the support which has been pretty really hostile to Paul Pogba for some time and he's always de- dealt for sure. well with it I suppose it's different though Joe if you're if you're in a situation where you think right well I I've got three years at this club then Perhaps you're inclined to be a little bit more thick-skinned towards that kind of thing. If you know that in 12 months' time you're going somewhere else, maybe less so, because what's it worth to you? Like I know what you mean,
1: of, but I don't see any... Uh, I'm going to be uh, the Pogba fan club defender here, but I don't see any indication that that's his type of character. I know, I, know, I understand how that might happen to a person, but I don't think that happens to Paul Pogba.
2: I mean, what happens, though, for instance, if... I don't know, between now and the end of the month, Manchester United do sign the central midfield. Or they think, right, it's time to try and get more of a tune out of Donny van der Beek. What happens if he becomes, sure. through no fault of his Donny, own... Donny just, van der bulked up. Apparently. Donny van der bulked up. He does look <laughs> yeah. about three stone heavier, doesn't he? <laughs> He's bulked up over the summer, yeah. Has he beat our side or did someone just lock it's him in, in the gym the entire the gym. summer? Yeah, yeah. well, I, I suppose if Solskjaer thinks, right, I am working now in a three-year cycle and... Paul Pogba just on the basis of his contract, not because of his application or attitude or anything like that. If he's not going to be here for that period of time, then you're going to privilege and prioritize other players because that's what you should do. Um, mm. And I, to be honest, if 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 Paul Pogba spends the next twelve months of his of Man United career, final twelve months of his Man United career, giving brilliant performances, hats off to him. But I think sure. most players under those circumstances would struggle. I don't think it's about um his world-class status or the type of player he is or anything like that I just think it's the reality of it we've seen this so many times before in football you I have think a he'll be thing. I think he'll be Manchester United's
1: player of the year big shout okay that's okay. my pre-season pre-season before the season prediction there
2: we go all right, well let, we'll let, all let have me have ask one you this let yeah. me let me ask you this then if you think he's going to be player of the year do you think there will be a a major effort to extend his deal or do you think that? I think it will. Ex- I think
1: it will probably extend before the uh, this current transfer window ends. Interesting. Okay. I don't think he'll leave on a
2: free next year. It's strange because a couple of years ago, I think it was a couple of years ago, Arsene Wenger said that this will be the trend. He said that increasingly, what you'll find is, at least your sort of elite layer of footballers will start signing much shorter deals. And getting to the end of their contracts, and then yeah. either extending or going for the massive contracts. The sort of the killing. What, what it looks like, clear and present. What happened at Spurs, that. right? Um. Well, no, it happened actually, with Ericsson,
1: It happened with Aldevar. It happened. Like they all started to run their contracts down, right?
2: I'm not sure I put those players in that category. Like I, I, I think of it as the kind of the Mbappe level. And oh, okay. with all due respect to Eriksen and Aldevar, brilliant players, absolutely at their best, but not they're not at that level. Sure, um, you mean elite players only. I would put, yeah, the top 10 players in the world at any one time. That's the kind of the company I'm, I'm thinking of. And I, mm-hmm. it just seems a very smart move if you're a player. Particularly if, for instance, if you're looking at the Harry Kane situation, you're thinking never again is someone signing a six-year deal at a club where you're sure. not necessarily guaranteed Champions League football every year. It's ridiculous. Never.
1: Also, if anyone's looking at the Messi situation, if he does sign for PSG for what the reported figures are, he ends a €25 million signing-on fee, which ordinarily, I suppose, would have gone to a club. Do you know? Yeah. So there's a bit of extra cash involved in doing it that way too, I suppose, if you can if you can hold out. Anyway, anyway. Let's go to a break now, and we'll be back after the break. We're back! And it's time to discuss Leicester City 1. Nil Manchester City. This was, of course, the the charity shield, Alex, and that happens every summer. The winners of the FA Cup versus the Premier League. Uh, One of the most glorious titles of all time. Uh, Love it, love it. Normally, I I don't watch it uh, because I can't be bothered with football at that point in the season. But weirdly enough, this weekend, I did watch it. And I thought, oh, I'm excited. I am excited. And boy, was I happy about what happened because it was a good... What I'm saying is it was a good game.
0: Yeah, it was an all right game. It
1: It was was fine. fine. It was fine. I mean,
0: it's... It's it's in that weird kind of liminal space where it's sort of a competitive fixture and sort of still a preseason friendly. So yeah, you know, I, there's I, I something did, on
1: the line. There, there's more something more for Leicester,
0: maybe. You know, yeah, I think I think Leicester are, are a fascinating club um, this season. They've 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 built very astutely on what they achieved under Ranieri. Their transfer work is exemplary, uh, arguably maybe second only to Brighton's uh, in terms of uh, finding, I don't want to say undervalued players, but but looking a little bit deeper into the transfer market and, and coming up with players that um, maybe are worthy of a Premier League move but are written off for, for various other reasons. Um, I think stuff like the signing of Pat Daka shows a long-term planning that's very sensible, obviously, as a sort of Jamie Vardy style replacement um and they are they are the club that are most likely to to bridge that gap into the sort of the elite status uh the the, the big six yeah. or whatever you call it get up and, in there well uh, yes and they they thoroughly deserve to be um and so in, in that regard i guess you know the 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 charity shield is a kind of an opportunity for them to show that they can compete uh, in that status um with those sorts of clubs but it is still slightly slower and there were players playing for manchester city who you're not going to see week in week out yeah tell Premier me about those kids of it.
1: was one was them was called palmer i remember there was another one um the other one was good too what were they like were they good who are they uh, um i i mean i
0: don't i don't I wasn't enormously impressed. Watch, watch when you ask Alex a question he hasn't prepared for. Tell me sure. all
1: about one of those young players I'd never seen before, Alex. Tell
0: Palmer, me, tell was me it? about... Uh, Adozi was the other one. So Samuel Adozi and there Cole you. Palmer. Uh, thank God for um the tonight. <laughs>
2: <laughs> who, was, who was the boy that came on? He, had a, he looked like he should have been in the in-betweeners with his haircut. He was all spiky. Who was that? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Ben Knight. Ben yes, Knight. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Yeah.
0: I've now got the team sheet up, so I can just, just get like, well done. what I'm talking about. <laughs> Easy job. Um, I mean, yes, it was... I don't know, though. Palmer was playing very, very high on that inside right position, so it was... I think that actually asked a lot of Cancelo. I'm not sure that tactically that was the most sensible move to try and do that. I guess they are compensating for the lack of thrust, playing with an actual centre-forward. I I don't know. City looked um, a bit disjointed to me, Um, whereas Leicester seemed tactically to know exactly what they were trying to do. Um, There were very repeated patterns of play. Very, very good spacing between the two central midfielders. Oh, we saw Pats
1: and Dacker too.
0: We did see Pats and Dacker, yeah. Mm. It's good to see Harvey Barnes back as well. Yeah. Um after that injury, he's he's a I mean, I, I like the way that Leicester were, you know, they kept him wide on the left hand side and they pushed Pereira up on the right hand side to get this kind of slightly asymmetrical effect that created a lot of space for Barnes.
2: Um mm, and, patterns and lines.
0: Yeah, he's somebody who was, you know, kind of again in that very congested England left attacking midfield space. Barnes was in the conversation before his injury. So it's it's good to see him back. Yeah. Um, yeah. I liked it. it was, I was excited. It was a fine game. It, it felt like okay. a fine game. Mm. It was, I think, the only thing that I really noticed was the the step up in pace from international football. It felt like the pitch was so much more crowded yeah. and there was so much less time on the ball than we saw during the Euro. Even in a um, friendly. It, well, yeah, I mean, a, a, a it, half-friendly. It's a
1: friendly. A friendly it's is 100% a, a friendly, yes. Sure. Okay. It's nothing but a friendly. Fine. Let's talk about other things, unless you were desperate to say something about the uh, charity shield, sub
2: No, I really enjoyed it. it just it was so nice to have com- friendly aside. Really nice to have competitive club football back with fans. it Was great. Oh, sure, and they were
1: competing for sure. I don't mean was, that they were friendly to each other. You're
2: absolutely no. Right. But I, as Alex said, the pace of it was good, and yeah. I like international football, but I love club football, and uh, it yeah. was just it was it was full of those kind of things and. I Thought Leicester played really well and it was great. And I I really enjoyed seeing Patsandaka and um, Bukhar Samari's. um, There was a passage of play which lasted about 15 seconds where he seemed to dispossess about seven players (laughs) just Mm. in the one motion. It was incredible. Yeah. It was, um, it was, it was like a threshing machine. Um, Yeah. In that
1: show as well, uh, kicking off a season with a goal, another goal. Maybe he'll have another
2: stellar, stellar season. It's nice to see him do well because he had that awful moment against Manchester City a few years ago when he was in on goal and he missed basically. Do you mm. remember right on the edge of the, the, the penalty box that they had? No. Pretty ugly moment for a player when you go back to your old club and you miss a sitter like that. And um, you know if, if he'd scored, it was a game where um, Vincent Company scored that thirty yarder. And right. he had that chance to equalise, which probably would have given the title to Liverpool. And he got sort of yeah. vilified for that bit. So nice moment, and wasn't really. He had a bit of a, a dropping off when he left Man City. So it was really nice to see that kind of his um, his revival continue. And City at Wembley, mm. lovely. Good have. Speaking speaking of nice, Montpellier mm. lost to uh, to Marseille, who scored three. Seb, yeah, is one of my favourite games of the weekend. It was it was really strange because I. I went into the game and uh, expecting Marseille to just be very, very entertaining. Sampaoli, obviously, um, is a bit. Uh, his football is bold and it's aggressive mm-hmm. and it's interesting. And it was all of those things for 25 minutes. Marseille just couldn't find the final ball and, uh, you know, put themselves one up. And then they fell two behind to one fluke and one ridiculous goal from the board where. I still don't know whether he was crossing the ball, but it's one of those where it just curled in perfectly and, and kind of kissed the post just under the mm. crossbar, went in. Mm. Marseille's comeback was great fun. Um, not least because, and I know I'm repeating myself, but when they equalised, uh, when Dimitri Payet scored his his free kick, which hang your head in shame if you're in that Montpellier wall, that was disgraceful. That was just, if you find Ooh. it, because you it was a kind of... It was very Sami Nasri-ish, if that makes sure. sense. Sure, yeah. It wasn't the bravest moment for some of those players. Anyway, <laughs> I love he the comes to represent the cowardice yeah. it's Just, this Just is, This is it. This is who he is. This is his place in the game. <laughs> there he we go. He's an internal reference point to describe mm-hmm. terrible things. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, uh, Equaliser went in and all the Marseille players went kind of rushing to the perimeter fencing where their, um, where their fans were. It was a great moment. And then Payet scored... A beautifully Dimitri Payet goal, just quick feet, aggressive, and from the moment he picks it up, probably 25 yards out at an angle, you see him kind of gathering pace towards the penalty box, and what's about to happen is absolutely inevitable, and it was great, and it was, it was, uh, it was just a lovely way to, to finish a weekend. Like when, sure. when a weekend's football comes to a close on a Sunday night, instead of going, you know, watching some, you know, terrible like one-one-nil-nil nonsense from somewhere a proper 3-2 comeback, dramatic ending. Uh, it was great. Fun. I had a great, great day of Liga football as well.
1: I want to put something to you now. I read and enjoyed yeah, your indeed. piece on Lionel Messi uh, that you wrote for the Athletic yeah, over yeah, the weekend and uh, one of your sort of clinching arguments in that was that uh, you thought there was no better way to finish a, w- a football weekend than turning on La Liga to watch uh, Messi play for Barcelona. It seems now that you're also saying that about Liga with some French teams and of course Messi may well move to PSG so I put to you mm-hmm. that your entire argument was BS and that you'll be just as happy to turn on the French football and watch and El Messi, there. I've got you. I think what it's I need to gotcha football
2: is equally matched teams. So uh, Montpellier Marseille is interesting because Marseille are fragile, and you never quite know what they're going to be. Lille interesting because they won the title despite not being overwhelmingly outstanding. They are a very good sure. team, but they're not uh-huh. littered with overpowering individuals. Yeah. Would I have tuned in last night to watch Montpellier against PSG? I, I, I don't. I just don't care. Sure. Um, sure. So I I think what what um what the article sort of what the point depends on is Messi being in the right place. If that makes sense, he's a homegrown Barcelona product. He is a he is a kind of the realization of. I everything was just trying that, to gotcha. It doesn't. I know. Matter. I know. But I'm gotchaing you, in you back. No. 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 no, no like, I,
1: will someone I'm, someone tell me about West Ham because that's interesting. Alex, have you read this?
0: Uh yeah, I did. I did read it. Um, what do you think um, about yes. it?
1: Tell me what it is, because I haven't. I have This is the 1st time I'm hearing about it.
0: Okay. Well, I mean, so the Matt Slater's written a great piece on, on the Athletic, which mm. is going to give you far more detail than I can. But essentially, the summary is: um, there are people looking to buy West Ham. Um, the uh, The main guy is the son of uh, an Azerbaijani uh, oil and gas magnate of some description, wow. a and, magnate. and the son came up through. Gazprom, there are questions over just how much capital is actually available for this. Um, (laughs) Yes, as ever. Um, And there's a bit of a back and forth over the valuation. So they've offered 400 million. David Golds uh, said no, but they're saying, well, that's what you said you wanted. So we're a bit confused. I think most interestingly is the presence of uh, a guy in the bid whose name I've completely forgotten. Um, but was also uh, at QPR uh, in a kind of footballing operations perspective, and he was involved in the Olympic legacy uh, of 2012 and the stadium development there. So you mean he made assess- Boris
1: Johnson the prime minister? Are we talking about Dominic Cummings? Is that the? <laughs> no, isn't that the legacy of not. 2012? I,
0: politics is not my purview, but um, this is. It it all it all points towards the fact that the, the London Stadium is this uh, potentially incredibly lucrative asset um, in terms of property development. There are apartments around there. There are certain of the sporting venues that are still being used a lot. I have actually, in fact, been to the basketball one, um, which is quite interesting.
1: Ah.
0: But there's, there's not a lot in terms of entertainment around there. Obviously, the stadium itself is used for gigs sometimes, but... Um, it feels like there's a lot more that can be done there and so if somebody is seeking to acquire West Ham a lot of that acquisition is I suspect with that in the back of their mind what you right. know how can we Stanford bridgeify this area effectively and, and and turn it into this kind of bustling cultural economic center in this part of London so yeah yeah. Yeah, I mean, entirely divorced from football, but then as Seb would doubtless agree, so much of football does seem to be divorced from football. So
2: Former QPR chief executive Philip Beard, I've uh, off, the top, off the top of my head. Yes. There's a really interesting um, anecdote about him. So when he was at QPR and he kind of had the patronage of uh, Tony Fernandes when he was there, um, he resigned, I think I'm right in saying, he resigned after Les Ferdinand was promoted to director of football. Very strange moment les fernandau was, was promoted and that seemed like a a good thing um given his sort of um, roots at the club and philip beard released a statement talking about how he'd been marginalized by it or it was odd that was it was a very strange way to end his time there because he was i think he was managing director and then you wouldn't have thought then that sporting director managing director would have had too much overlap other than in kind of transfer negotiations financially but obviously, um, he felt differently. And that's that's how he left GPR, which is odd. And he's knocking about this West Ham takeover, apparently. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I don't think they sell just because I, I I would have... It would surprise me if having reached this point with West Ham where they're, they're, the current ownership still not wildly loved by the fans, but they're hated less. <laughs> sure. It just seems like an odd time to sell. Like, you're he, yeah. slightly on the up. You finally seem to have stumbled upon something that works. Um Good transfer activity over the summer, good, you know, reinforcements for the defence. We think Milenkovic is coming in there from Fiorentina at some point, we think, um, apparently. Um, and why why sell now? Also, the reported price is £400 million, pounds, which seems cheap to me. Interesting.
1: I'm really hungry. So I'm going to go now because I think that's it. Probably. It's been a nice time, though, hasn't it? The podcast has been fun for you, Alex? Fine. Yeah, relatively so. Is And it? it's been fun for you, Seb? I had a really nice time. Great. I'm really excited about the football season.
0: Really oh, all excited. right. Yeah, there we just, go. I'm just show how much it, more too. enthusiastic you are than me and make me feel sure. bad. Don't think, sure. I don't think I
2: need the podcast to do that. <laughs> <I don't. laughs>
0: Probably nothing, actually.
2: <laughs> well, listeners
1: and viewers, of course, because we are now um, releasing these videos filmed. I say filmed movie style on uh, the tifo irl youtube channel come and join us there and please throw us a subscribe we'd very much appreciate that uh, thanks of course to seb staff Blore and alex Stewart, jj bull will be back next week with us and uh, of course thanks as always to producer adonis and film man donmar so there we go that's the end be back uh, next uh, tuesday with more and of course the premier league will have started by then Oh, and I'm on holiday, so I won't be here for another three weeks. But uh, I'm sure you'll all have a lovely time. ta now. The
0: Athletic.